This is the GBA Case History Series brought to you by the GBA Podcast. One of the best ways to learn is by reflecting on the mistakes and successes of others. Each episode within this series will showcase one of the many case histories developed by GBA and its member firms. They're a collection of stories that cover many different disciplines within the geo professions, each with a unique message and lesson learned. We hope you enjoy this podcast and encourage you to share the lessons learned with others at your organization. Welcome to the GBA Case History Series, brought to you by the GBA Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Brown, and I am the Northwest Division Geotechnical Services Manager at Atlas Technical Consultants in Boise, Idaho. And I'm Ryan White, Principal Geotechnical Engineer at PBS Engineering and Environmental, Inc. in Portland, Oregon. Today, we are discussing GBA's case history number 93 which revolves around a geotechnical engineering study and associated on-site observations during construction for a project that consisted of a five-city block cluster of high-profile mixed-use high-rise buildings. The study was performed to support design of high-rise foundation systems and recommend lateral earth pressures for shoring, basement walls, and permanent dewatering systems. The project developer and the member firm had an established working relationship for over 15 years. The CEOs of both companies had formed a friendship based on mutual respect and trust. These relationships often make dealing with difficult situations on projects easier. I can think of several instances in my career where having an established relationship with a client has helped when difficult situations arose. Yeah, me too. I've had many similar experiences, maybe after having read this case history as a young engineer, but throughout my career where the client trusted me to resolve an issue without first associating blame and pointing fingers. So having that trust definitely made it easier for me because I didn't feel as much pressure and nobody was on the defensive. So we're going to talk more about the relationship between the member firm and the client and what how that played into this case history um, as we go along. Yeah. So like Ryan said, that trust with the client is a big, a big part of client relations and dealing with projects. And because of this trust the client had with the member firm, they were able to develop and perform a comprehensive exploration program, given the project parameters and their knowledge of this project area. And the the client trusted the member firm with their, their experience. So about half of this project site was designed with structures to have four levels of below-grade parking. In order to construct those four levels of below-grade parking, an excavation plan and shoring system was required. And these type of systems are often very complex. Yeah, construction in general can be pretty complicated when you have multiple consultants and subcontractors working amongst one another on a site with you know a limited footprint, and in this case, in a city with streets and buildings surrounding the site. So you add into that that you're going now four levels below grade with tiebacks going out under city streets, and I think it gets even more complicated as you take it sort of three-dimensionally down like that. To add to the complexity on this project, the shoring contractor worked on a design-build basis and retained their own engineer who designed the tie-back and shoulder pile excavation support system for, for this particular project. So it's important to note that the member firm in our story did not actually design this shoring system. So a whole nother engineer was brought in and involved as well. 
for this particular case, the shoring design consisted of installation of soldier piles for the perimeter shoring system. So these piles consisted of steel H-piles that were embedded in a 24-inch diameter drilled hole and then backfilled with structural concrete up to the excavation level. Then from the excavation level to the ground surface, the hole was backfilled with what's considered a lean concrete mix. So a lean concrete mix is weaker than the structural concrete so that it can be chipped away to allow for the lagging and the tieback installation. So three rows of tieback anchors were going to be installed to support the soldier pile as the excavation was advanced and then the timber lagging was installed between those piles. Yeah, so let's define as best we can lean concrete. You did a good job of describing it as sort of weak concrete, but it's important to note that other people interpret that term differently. Just saying lean concrete, I think, potentially means something different to different people. And sometimes, a lot of times, there's no strength specified or associated with that term, which you'll see complicated things in this case. So in this case, the shoring designer did not differentiate between structural concrete and lean mix concrete in the construction documents. Because the lean concrete was temporary, the city building department did not require it to be tested like you would structural concrete. So an important note about the concrete is that the contractor had asked the member firm for permission to free fall the lean mix instead of using TREMI methods. And the member firm agreed to this method of installation. So as the excavation was nearing completion, three of the soldier piles plunged downward and rotated towards the excavation. At this point, a meeting was held between the shoring contractor, the general contractor, member firm, and owner to discuss the situation. During this meeting, the member firm expressed concern over the stability of the shoring system, and they recommended that steps be taken to protect the public and worker safety so that they had some time to evaluate these tieback anchors because the, the member firm was concerned that because of the movement of the shoulder piles, stresses in the tiebacks may have increased. The shoring contractor, however, disagreed with the member firm, and they didn't feel that an investigation was worth the time or the money. Yeah, I got the impression in this case, the shoring contractor was anxious to keep the project moving forward, weren't interested in a lengthy investigation that would slow production. And so they were they were looking for a quick fix, like a Band-Aid, just to help, you know, sort of cover the uh, the problem and avoid any associated blame and, and move on. The member firm did question the remediation work that the shoring contractor was proposing and doing. In their opinion, in the member firm's opinion, remediation efforts only appeared to address the symptoms of the movement and not the actual cause, because so far they hadn't taken the time to figure out what that cause was. And the member firm was concerned that without addressing the actual cause, there was risk the problem would persist, potentially lead to even bigger problems. Unfortunately, the concerns of the member firm ended up happening five days later when the entire north wall of shoring plunged downward and rotated into the basement excavation. This caused for soil supporting an 8-inch high-pressure water line to move, which allowed that water line to break. At this point, the basement excavation flooded, and it washed out more than 30 feet of lagging. There was so much movement and tension cracking that damage to the surrounding streets, sidewalks, adjacent buildings occurred. Which was bad about this is that some of those buildings were historic. 
So that kind of ups the the level of concern even more when you're dealing with those historic buildings. Over the next three weeks, more than 700 feet of shoring settled and rotated into the excavation. The member firm feared that the movement of the shoring had increased the load on the tieback anchors and could lead to additional failures. And I'm not sure you could have predicted what happened next, but the shoring contractor claimed changed conditions, which is common when things don't go according to plan. Um, that's a case of you know potentially shifting the blame. It could be differing conditions, but I think we'll explore that a little more here. If that was the case, that would let them off the hook, um, you know, shift the blame from them to someone else. So it's easy to claim that. I think it's sometimes harder to prove that. The shoring contractor decided to hire their own geotechnical engineer to investigate the failure and review the member firm's report and related construction information. And I think as member firms, we should welcome a second opinion. I think that was a bad thing. And in this case, their engineer did not find anything wrong with the member firm's work and suggested the failure would not have occurred if structural concrete had been used to embed the soldier piles. So at this point in time, the member firm realized that litigation was likely to occur and that a forensic investigation would be needed. So the member firm was proactive and decided to conduct their own investigation at their own expense. The investigation included a series of borings to determine the strength of the lean mix backfill surrounding the H piles and the condition of the soils beneath those piles. The investigation revealed that the H piles plunged through the, the lean mix concrete at the tips of the piles. In locations where movement hadn't occurred, the lean mix had a strength of 800 PSI and greater. The member firm then interviewed the concrete supplier and learned that partway through the project, the shoring contractor had instructed the concrete supplier to change the lean mix to make it easier to remove for installation of the timber lagging. The member firm did review of the paperwork and revealed that the days where the weaker mix was delivered to the site were the days when the failed piles were installed. So it's situations like these where it's important to remember to be proactive about solving the problems. Yeah, and I said this earlier, but I do remember reading this case history as a young engineer. And as a result, when issues arise on projects, I do try to take lessons from this and be proactive to solving the problem first. Don't point fingers or blame others. Worry about who is responsible later. Solve the problem first. I always think about what our elementary school teachers told us about pointing the finger, you know, there's three pointing back at you. So be careful about associating blame until you really have explored and, and figured out what's going wrong. And when I say don't blame anyone, that goes for ourselves. I think too often uh, we immediately think maybe we did something wrong or we missed something. And if that is the case, sure, take responsibility, but definitely don't jump to that conclusion first. Um, do that investigation, spend the time to figure out what that problem is, and then figure out um, how to associate that with uh, fault afterwards. So the member firm then presented their findings from their investigation to the design and construction team with a conclusion that the concrete was the cause of the failure. Over the next few weeks, the shoring contractor installed additional tieback anchors and micropiles under the failed soldier piles. The general contractor absorbed the cost of the construction delays and the basement wall redesign. The client's insurance covered the costs to repair the damaged streets, sidewalks, and adjacent buildings. In addition, the client made sure that the member firm was reimbursed for the costs of its forensic investigation. So this project started out a bit rocky, 
but the member firm didn't run away from the problems and they worked on a solution that in the end, they ended up being reimbursed for. In the end, the project was a financial success for the client and had its overall goal of transforming the character of the city. So Ryan, let's discuss some of the lessons learned from this case history. Sounds good. So one item that really stood out to me was to remember your place. And by that, I mean that the contractor had asked the member firm for permission to free fall the lean mix instead of using TREMI methods. However, the important thing to note here is that the member firm was not the shoring designer and they didn't have responsibility for the means and methods of the installation. So by the member firm responding to the request for permission, they then became liable for any related problems that may develop. Yeah, and I just want to point out something for those that don't know what we mean when we talk about tremi or free-falling concrete. When you're tremming something like grout into, say, a 40-foot deep hole, you're inserting a, a pipe or a tube to the base of that hole, and you're filling it from the bottom up. Whereas when you're free-falling it, imagine you're you know dropping it from 40 feet up and it's falling to the bottom of that hole. And that can result in some problems. Luckily, those didn't happen here, but I just wanted to clarify that. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. So another lesson um, to be learned is the importance to not let emotions control your actions. The member firm held their cool throughout this whole ordeal. Even when the shoring contractor was trying to pass the blame, the member firm didn't play the blame game, and they just wanted to gather the facts and to protect the safety of the workers and public. Yeah, I think this is a really important point from multiple aspects. I think we're focused so much on collecting data and data, data, and we don't think a lot about emotions. In fact, some of us may not have emotions. I don't know. I just think about how the member firm CEO must have felt, you know, the amount of stress Um, everyone in this situation is in, you know, the owner, the contractor. No one wants us to be their responsibility. So, I try to remember that in these situations, everyone is pretty amped up and, you know, any opportunity you can give someone um, to save face or or a way out in these situations, I think it's important, you know, we're all people. Right. Absolutely. And I think something something else here that I found insightful was that the member firm, they took the initiative to investigate the failure. They didn't try to cover up any mistakes that they have made. They just kind of let that all, you know, go by the side. And they really focused on why. Why is this failing? What is going on? How can we fix it? Yeah, I think it's easy to worry, oh no, I did something wrong and want to, you know, band-aid solution like the shoring contractor. But if it's your fault, I mean, you're gonna have to take responsibility eventually. So taking the initiative to solve that problem sooner probably saves everyone some headache. And uh, financially, it's probably a lot less expensive the quicker you can resolve these types of problems. All right. The member firm knew the importance of determining the root cause. We've talked about that a few different times uh, so that an effective solution could be implemented. Therefore, they were willing to perform the analyses without worrying about who would pay for it. So I think they spent a lot of their own money, it sounded like, upfront uh, without worrying about how that was going to get paid or who was going to pay it, uh, but to resolve this and find the solution. And that's what led the client in the end to insisting the member firm be reimbursed by the shoring contractor. So it worked out. 
Right. By being, you know, forthright and trying to, to solve problems, it definitely helps to build those client relationships. I also noticed that the member firm never stopped working on trying to solve the problem. The shoring contractors wanted to fix the symptom, but not actually find the cause, whereas the member firm knew the importance of trying to actually solve the problem for both and how that would help both them and the the ultimate client. Yep. And you touched again on the importance of the strong relationship between the client and the member firm's CEO. Those strong relationships between those two, I think, really is what made this successful for the member firm. I think with a poorer or not as close a relationship, things might not have worked out as well. I found in my career that it's it's easier to focus on the project and any problems that may arise when you know that you have that strong relationship with the client that's based on trust and mutual respect. The last thing I want to touch on is safety. I know sometimes um, we don't emphasize that enough, but I wanted to point out here that the member firm really took a stance uh, and emphasized that that was an important aspect of this. They weren't just doing this so that they wouldn't be blamed. The investigation was ultimately to protect the safety of not just the workers, but the public, given this is you know several city blocks surrounded by, by streets and buildings. So as engineers, we have a duty to protect the safety of the public and the member firm made sure that was their focus. Right. Safety is everyone's responsibility, especially, you know, on those construction sites where a lot of things can go wrong. And this concludes this episode of the case history series brought to you by the GBA podcast. I hope you were able to take away some useful information that will help you and others at your firm make good risk-based decisions in the future. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the GBA case history series. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the GBA podcast and leave us a review. Until next time, remember, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing.